Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome into another episode of The Rant. Uh, thanks a lot for everyone who's been listening, who's been supporting the podcast, who's been sharing the podcast with friends, family, whoever. Uh, again, I want to thank jagoffsports.com for their partnership with me. Um, if you haven't been to their website, go ahead and check it out at jagoffsports.com. Um, it's a great website. They got great uh, funny articles up there. They got Sports Talk on their website as well. Every Thursday, they have their own little podcast uh, where they do like a live show. You can call in and be a part of the show. So go ahead and check out that at jagoffsports.com. Okay, so we're going to get into uh, today, wrapping up the weekend, obviously. At the end of this weekend, that was wrapping up the Combine. So now the Combine has finished. All of the invitees to the Combine have worked out. We've had, I guess, the quote-unquote proverbial uh, rise and fall of some people's draft stocks. Uh, some people who claim that the Combine can really help your draft stock or hurt your stock. I highly doubt that. I mean, there are guys who obviously can come out and blow away Combines. I don't think Combines can hurt you. I think Combines... Combines can only help in regards to like if you come out and run a blazing 40 time and a blazing time that just doesn't match what most scouts have been seeing you on tape run. That might cause more scouts to go, okay, let's go back and take another look at this guy because for some reason we didn't catch that speed on tape or for some reason it didn't translate to that what we saw on the field. So those kind of things can make a scout go back and take another look at you can reevaluate your numbers and everything else. But today I'm going to talk about some guys that I watched, that I liked, uh, some moves to be made, some just some players that are just freak athletes, and uh, we'll, we'll go into that. And then we'll talk a little bit about the running back position, what I want to see the Steelers do with the second pick in the draft. I know there's a lot of talks about getting the edge player out of Michigan. Um, I think is it Eichel or HL, I can't even, I don't even know his name. Anyway, people might be familiar with him. He's an edge player out of Michigan. He's kind of a, rated as a second round edge player, but I think that is dumb to do. You are going to lock up Bud Dupree with the franchise tag in the coming months, or I guess in the month, and pretty much once the season uh, free agency opens up in March. You'll be able to sign Bud Dupree to the franchise tag, locking him up for one year. It'll be a pricey year, but to me, it's worth giving Bud the franchise tag to, one, keep him with the current defensive roster. You don't have any turnover besides Javon Hargraves on the interior. That would be the only missing key, missing link to what the Steelers already have on defense. They would just have to go and find another guy, maybe in the third, maybe in the fourth round, uh, along the interior to supplement the loss of Javon Hargraves because I do not think they're going to be able to re-sign him. I think he's going to command uh, bigger money than what the Steelers can afford, and it's going to be a pricey franchise tag to tag Bud Dupree. But it's the smartest thing to do. The smartest thing to do is to tag Bud, go in the second round, and get a running back, someone who can help this team right away. Just like the Le'Veon Bell pick uh, years ago when they got him in the second round, the Steelers need to do the same thing, and this draft is loaded with running back talent. There is not a single one running back, maybe besides uh, Swift out of Georgia, who is like 
the number one back coming out, but the drop-off from him to the next guy isn't that great. It's not like running back classes where there's a, a premier high first-round pick like a Saquon Barkley or a Josh Jacobs coming out of college saying, this guy is the best back coming out. There's a lot of talk. Some people, the majority of people say it's Swift, and he's going to go at the end of the first round. The reason why he's probably going to go at the end of the first round being, I think, honestly, what makes most sense is maybe Kansas City at 32 takes him. The reason is at that position when you draft, when you're drafting 31 or 32, the talent isn't there and it isn't comparable to first round talent anymore. Your talent at that, at that point in the draft is way more on par with day two talent. You're just at the, that's part of the draft process. When you do well in the season, the NFL doesn't reward you, they punish you. They punish you by making you draft last if you win the Super Bowl. It's the only system in sports where you get punished for doing well as a franchise. And that's what makes the NFL and the parity in the league so great is because you don't get rewarded for winning. You actually get handcuffed for winning. And what's happened now is at those 31, 32 picks, they're basically second-round picks. You're going to get day-two type players there. But what makes it better, and especially at the running back position, which is huge, if you draft a running back at 32, much like what we saw Sony Michelle for the Patriots, they got him at 30, I think either 31 or 32 when they got him. The reason that it makes sense to draft a running back there, as opposed to maybe trading back and allowing somebody to move up and get a guy they want. But I mean, dep- I mean, if you're in the market for a running back, if you are in the market for running back and you're at that 32 position, such as the Kansas City Chiefs, it makes way more sense to stay where you are. You might be enticed to trade back for the same reason it makes a lot of sense for you to stay there. Because when you sign that running back at pick number 32, you're getting a running back with a fifth-year option. And that about sums up their worth in the NFL, lengthwise, contract-wise, career-wise. Running backs have the shortest lifespan in the NFL, especially after they get, if you're they're a feature back, they're going to get lots of carries, lots of yards, lots of baggage, lots of miles on them, and having a fifth-year option is huge. So I see the Kansas City Chiefs taking Swift at 32. That's my lock for the first running back off the board. And for there, I think every other running back will start to trickle off at that point. But where the Steelers pick in um, the middle of round two, there will be a lot of running back talent, and they will pretty much have their pick of whoever they want. I understand the Steelers are one of those those draft people that, and, I, and I'm on board for this. You always draft the best player available. But where I put a caveat on that is when you have a window that is closing. Ben Roethlisberger's coming back uh, from elbow surgery, season-ending season elbow surgery, and the window is closing. They're only going to have Ben Roethlisberger as the franchise quarterback of this team for maybe two more seasons. So instead of going defense on that pick and getting an outside linebacker or an edge player who can basically take over for Bud Dupree, 
You have to kick that can down the road and get a guy who can make this team better automatically. The Steelers were 30th in the league in running. They averaged like three yards per carry, which is abysmal. They have James Conner, who can't stay healthy at all. He's constantly injured. He's not a feature back. A feature back is someone who can stay on the field all three downs and not come off. If you're constantly injured, you can't be a feature back. Then they got a guy in Benny Snell last year in the fifth round who is a bruiser-type, short-yarded situation guy. He kind of is like a LeGarrette Blunt. You would bring him in in those short-yarded situations, and he's a power back. They need a guy who is a finesse, a fast-paced, a quick hitter, a guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield, a guy who can make plays down the field, and there's a lot of guys on my list, and I will go through that list in a minute. But first, I'm going to talk about the big issues and the big things that everyone's talking about right now. Obviously, it's pretty much come to my attention that what I said, yes, uh, last episode about the theory the theory of Cincinnati getting rid um, or trading back or trade or not taking Joe Burrows, instead taking Chase Young, is a theory that is losing uh, air and losing steam as we speak it into existence. Because today, uh, there was a report brought out in the news that Burroughs told Cincinnati to sign A.J. Green to the franchise tag, to keep him there. Because that is leverage that Joe Burrow could totally use. He could say, listen, I know you guys are on the fence about re-signing A.J. Green, but if you guys did, and then you decided to take me with the first overall pick, you know, I would definitely play for you guys. Because it makes sense. Having a veteran wide receiver who, at times, when he's been healthy, and that's a huge caveat, when he's been healthy, has been an absolute game wrecker, A.J. Green... I thought was on pace to be one of the best wide receivers to play the game until he just repeatedly got injured and injured and injured. And it's how long can this guy stay healthy? And I think some of it too was the fact that he's been on the Cincinnati team. That's just been abysmal. It's been a terrible organization, a terrible franchise, and he hasn't had a quarterback to throw him the ball besides that one or two seasons where Andy Dalton was somewhat decent. And I think it might spark A.J. Green to play better. It might make the team better if he knows that Burrow wants him there, and it'll help Burrow a lot having a veteran wide receiver who knows what you know what what to do, knows the offense, knows how to get open, knows where to go, knows how to find a soft spot in the zone. It totally helps a young wide receiver when you have a veteran wide receiver. Um, the proof is in the pudding. E- even with Kyler Murray last year, you could tell having Larry Fitzgerald there was a blessing. Um, being able to find a guy always who knows where where to sit, where to sit down in the zone, where to go in the route, where to where to get the ball, um, even to come over and tell you in the huddle, hey, uh, this guy is pressing me here, or this guy's playing off me five yards, or this guy's coming in and cheating over. So, you know, I think we should do this or do this or whatever because that immensely helps a rookie quarterback. So, if those reports are true, which I think Peter King. Uh, was the first one to break that story. If those reports are true, and I, and I'm, and I trust Peter uh, King's uh, reporting, then I believe Joe Burrow goes number one, and the talks of all that are nonsensical. You have Joe Burrow's going number one to Cincinnati. 
Which then, the huge question here at number two is there's still talk about what Washington's going to do if they chase if they take Chase Young, which is the smartest pick to me, because that's the best player in this draft. Defense, the best defensive player in this draft, for sure, is Chase Young. He has the most upside. He has the biggest ceiling. He had the most production in college. He's a stud. So do you take him at number two, or do you take Tua because you're not sure about the quarterback position? You don't trust uh, Haskins there, who you just took last year, and you have a new you have a new quarter uh, new coach coming forward in uh, Ron Rivera, who might who might say, you know what, I don't like this Haskins kid. I was he was he's not my draft pick. I wasn't here to draft him. I'd rather have start over with a guy I like, and do you, then you take Tua there. Or do you flirt with taking Tua there in order to trade back and get a guy to come up and move forward for Tua? And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I think ultimately what they're going to do is they're going to say, we're going to take the best player available with us right now. We're going to go and play. Take the smart play here and take Chase Young at two. And then at three, I believe the Detroit Lions are on the clock at three. And that's when a whole bunch of stuff can just automatically change. I think what you're going to see most likely happen is Detroit trades back and you have Miami come up and get Tua because they have draft capital. They have a bunch of first-round picks. I think they're just going to move up and get the guy they want. Detroit goes back to five instead of picking three, and they probably still end up with the guy they would have picked, which would have been... um, Akuda, the corner out of Ohio State. That's who I have going there. But another interesting guy that could throw an entire monkey wrench in this whole scenario, and I'm going to get into him in just a second, is the linebacker Isaiah Simmons coming out of Clemson. If you didn't watch the combine, this guy was an absolute stud. Okay, he's 6'4", 238. He ran a 4'39". He had an 11-foot broad jump and a 39-inch vertical. The problem is with him, and it's a good problem to have, is Clemson lined him up at almost every position on defense. He lined up in five different positions on defense in Clemson's system. And they went like this. 72 snaps at inside linebacker, which is where most people would see him lining up. But the weird thing was, those weren't even the most snaps he took at a position. He had 132 at outside linebacker. He had 253 at slot corner. These are all this year, by the way. 253. That's le- That leads everything. He played slot corner more than he played any other position on the, on the defense. And 166 at safety. And then, this is the crazy killer, is he played 12 tr- snaps at true corner. 12 snaps at true corner. They, they put him on an island and said, you're going to play true corner. You're 6'4". You got the speed. We trust you which is crazy to me. So as a defensive coordinator who's trying to pick this guy, you would be salivating to get your to get your hands on a player like Isaiah Simmons. And that's why I think you could see Detroit even taking him there at three if they wanted. You could see the Giants taking him at four, and, and that totally tra- changes things over. What he did at the Combine, I think, raised his stock and makes people salivate even more to get a player like him because 
you don't have a problem with the player. You just have a problem trying to figure out where you want to put them. And I think the answer is yes. Put him everywhere. Put him anywhere you want because he's that dynamic of a player. He's fast. He's physical. He's tall. He's got length. He's everything. And he, he's exactly like a, a Derwin James in uh, L.A. for the Chargers. They line him up inside. They put him in the slot. They put him at safety. They bring him back and drop him inside the box. They ask him to cover tight ends. They ask him to cover running backs. That's the future of the NFL. If teams go to spread the ball out and they go to that spread-type offense and they have running backs come out of the backfield and, and line up in the slot, you want guys who you don't have to take off the field, who are already sub-package-type hybrid players, and you don't have to take them off the field. And since the NFL continues to evolve this way into this quick spread, quick hitter, quick passing game, you want guys that can fly around the field and who can also lay the wood on somebody and, on top of that, can cover just about anybody. And especially at the tight end position. Because we know that the tight end position is almost like a cheat code because of the, your ability to be able to basically get a mismatch every time a tight end lines up um, on on the field. I mean, we saw it this year. Both Super Bowl teams had the best two tight ends in the league in Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. It's a cheat code. Getting a guy with that much speed, that much athleticism, that much height, and that much power against a corner, against a safety, against the linebacker is a mismatch. Well, what if you put an Isaiah Simmons there? He's 6'4". He runs a 4'3'9". He's almost 240 pounds almost. He's basically a tight end guarding a tight end. That is no longer a mismatch. That gives you a better statistical advantage against a tight end. Having a guy line up and say, every time Kittle's on the field, you're going to guard him. Anytime this guy goes there, you're going to guard him. Defensive coordinators want a, want a player like this, and I think Isaiah Simmons is going to be the guy who goes higher than people expect. And I think even at that lineup, like I said, where where you have three, four, five, you have guys that are going to move up to get a quarterback. I think you might see a team who's in the market for either, maybe not quarterback, but for a defensive position or a corner position, change their mind and take Isaiah Simmons because he's the best athlete in this draft. Hands down, 100%, the best athlete in this draft. So I think you're going to have to see a team, I think the Giants might actually take him, maybe even Detroit takes him just because they just can't pass up on that pure athleticism. I know a lot of mock drafts have him falling all the way to nine, I think, to Jacksonville. That's crazy. He's not going to make it that far. There's no way. So, again, that's my favorite player in this draft, and there's going to be a lot of – I think there's going to be a lot of trades in this draft. I think, especially in the first round, there's going to be guys – because when Detroit's on the clock at three, and they're going to flirt – if everything follows 1-2 like we know it probably will, as in Joe Burrow, Chase Young, Detroit's on the clock at 3, they're going to flirt and they're going to say, we're not sure what we're going to do with uh, with Stafford. We don't know if we're going to take a quarterback here or not. And they're going to keep Stafford in the dark on it, and they're going to keep everybody in the dark because they want people to think they're going to take a quarterback so that they can trade back, probably get the player they were going to draft anyway if they're going to go corner at Akuda or take take Simmons later at, at five if they trade with the Dolphins. But somebody's moving up. There's going to be a lot of moves in this draft. It's going to be super interesting. I'm going to break down that kind of stuff. I'm not doing a mock, okay? I know people get all upset with mocks. 
You can't do mocks because people do stupid things when they do mocks. They either say, oh, when I do mocks, I don't do trades. Well, that's stupid because trades happen. And I think this is going to be a draft where you're going to see a lot of trades. So why would I do a mock that doesn't have trades when I think 100% there will be trades? Especially, I think, at three. I think there will be a trade at three. So I'm not doing a mock because trades make it too complicated, but there will be trades. And I'm not going to do a mock without trades because that's worthless and dumb. I might make a big board. I might go and say, here's my top 50 players in this draft. I don't know. That's a little cliche. It's kind of boring and kind of annoying. What I'd rather do is tell you guys, people who stand out, people who are good and people who think, you know, if you're a fan of whatever team, you guys can text me um, or DM me on, on Twitter at the Randy Light and tell me, hey, who do you think uh, my favorite team X is going to take at X spot, right? And I'll give you my assessment on where I think, you know, who's going to take and what you guys should be looking for based on your needs or whatever. We can go through that, and we can talk about it. But I don't want to talk on the big issues, the big ones that are floating around, and I'm going to talk about the players that I think are worth taking in this draft. And we're going to go through that a little bit later, but I promise you guys to talk about the running back position and uh, basically for Steelers talk, who the Steelers are looking for and what Steelers Nation is clamoring about and why everyone on Twitter is an idiot. Basically... The Steelers have interviewed a bunch of running backs at the draft, and everyone is going, oh, they need to take you know, this guy or whoever, and then people bring up names, and you're like, no, I watched that guy's highlights. He sucks. It's like, you, you people don't know anything about watching film. You people don't know anything about breaking down a player's um, attributes. A uh, perfect example of this is Cam Akers. Okay? Dale Lolly from DK Pittsburgh Sports reported that the Steelers talked to Cam Akers, and they really liked Cam Akers. Now, Steelers Nation went on YouTube, and they watched Cam Akers' highlights for probably about three seconds, and were like, oh, this guy's not very good. Uh, he's okay. He only had a 1,000, you know, two, he only had like 1,100-some yards rushing. That's not that great. Let's take Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor, he's the guy. Jonathan Taylor. Or, or let's go up and, and get J.K. Dobbins or, or any of these guys. There's a reason that the Steelers looked at Cam Akers as long as they did. I watched Cam Akers' film last night for probably two hours because I was trying to dissect why the Steelers wanted him. And much like the Hoy Polloi on Twitter who couldn't find their, uh, their butthole with a funnel, uh, know that, yes, his production was limited at Florida State. He only had, I think... Um, like I said, 1,100 yards rushing in back-to-back -back seasons. He had a, and I think his 2018 campaign was cut short with some sort of meniscus injury or an injury. So he might have had under 1,000 yards rushing. But he finished 2019 with, I think, it was somewhere in the 1,100 yards, maybe 1,200 yards range. I don't have the stats on hand. I wrote them down uh, in my notebook yesterday, but it's not on hand, so I don't know. But what I'm saying is that fails in comparison to the Jonathan Taylors back-to-back -back over 2,000 yards rushing in, in both 2018 and 2019. And people clamor about him, and they want him. Yes, I love Jonathan Taylor. He's a great player. His 40 was blazing fast. What do you run, a 4.39 or a 4.40? Basically a 4.4. He's a, he's a crazy good athlete. 
The only knock I have on Taylor is he has a ton of mileage on him. Okay, back-to-back 2,000-yard, like 2,000 rushing yard seasons. That's a lot of wear and tear on a guy who, like, basically was their entire offense. He was the the feature point of their offense. They gave him the rock every, every game, like, over 45 times. Tons of carries, tons and tons of carries. And yes, he didn't get injured per se, but again, when you go and you draft a guy in the second round, I'd rather have a guy that hasn't been used and there's still some tread on the tires, which was a lot of the reason why Oakland took Josh Jacobs in the first round last year. He didn't have a ton of mileage on him. He had gotten hurt and then ended up sitting out and was kind of had a great season. They What they saw on tape was that he was going to be a great running back, but he had gotten hurt and there would have been less mileage on him because of that. Now, we didn't see him get hurt, but we saw a lot of a lot of carries, a lot of a lot of tread taken off the tires, and he had a little bit of a fumbling issue, which I know Steelers fans don't want. You don't want another guy like a James Conner who's going to fumble away the game when it matters most. I get it. The upside of Jonathan Taylor is way higher, way way higher than a James Conner. But at the same time, I want ball security. I want a guy who's going to take care of the rock. I want a guy who's just going to be a good fit for the system the Steelers ran. So that brings me back to Cam Akers. Why did Dale Lawley report that the Steelers were really interested in Cam Akers? Why does a bunch of drafts have the Steelers not linked to him per se, but a lot of analysts have caught, have picked up the fact that the Steelers have been talking to Cam Akers a lot, and they're interested, and they really like him as a player. The reason is the guy ran a sub-4-5-40 at the combine. He had a great workout. Yes, he didn't have the production that you would see from a Jonathan Taylor, but what he did have um, is, is these intangible things. His offensive line at Florida State was terrible. And the other, I would say, thing to talk about Jonathan Taylor was that his offensive line was one of the best in football. So there was a lot to try to pick up. Was, was Jonathan Taylor a product of Wisconsin's great offensive line, or was he that prolific of a runner? Obviously, he's a prolific runner, but the fact that Cam Akers, who's I think five foot ten, I think two hundred and ten pounds, he repped out twenty on the bench of two twenty five. He ran a sub four five. His offensive line was terrible, and he was asked to do a lot of things in that offense. He ran the wildcat. He threw the ball out of the backfield at a quarterback a lot of times. There's lots of highlights. Go check them out. Pretty awesome. He threw one down the field probably about a 55-yard pass. He's super athletic. He's got high twitch. He caught the ball out of the backfield. He was a pretty good route runner. These are things that when you hearken back to the days when they drafted Le'Veon Bell, those are things that they asked Le'Veon to do, not so much throwing the ball out of the backfield, but catching the ball out of the backfield immensely at Michigan State was one of those things that the Steelers were like, hey, this guy is good. Pass pro. Cam Akers is pretty decent at pass pro. I haven't really got to watch Jonathan Taylor's pass pro, but what I've seen from, from a Cam Akers makes me think that the Steelers want him because he can do way more. He doesn't have to come off the field. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can do things in the Wildcat. They can spread the ball around. It was pretty fun to watch his highlights because when you did, 
There was literally handoff out of the backfield. There was a guy on him almost every time because his offensive line was so bad. And then he would put his foot in the round, make a guy miss, and he was a home run hitter. He had a lot of touchdowns. I think he had over 15 touchdowns in his final year at Florida State. He was a game changer for them. And I think that's what, the, that's what the Steelers are looking for from a running back, a guy who doesn't have to come off the field, a guy who necessarily doesn't have a lot of tread taken off his tires, and a guy who can be a feature back in this league. And that's what Cam Akers can do. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Steelers take him with their second pick. Anyway, we'll break down some more film. we got some more running backs that I will talk about moving forward. But for now... That was my opinion on guys that shined, guys who I like to watch at the Combine, and guys who I think um, have a future in this league. We'll talk about more of those guys going forward, about where uh, I think some of these guys will go. And, of course, we'll have, we have almost a month and a half of draft talk to cover, and then free agency starts soon. So we'll talk about all the quarterback movements, and we have a laundry list of guys that could be changing spaces. And that could ultimately impact the draft a lot because teams that are looking for a quarterback now might not be looking for a quarterback come draft day because they got their guy in free agency. So we'll talk about that in the future. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. I appreciate it. Remember to share the podcast, friends, families, uncles, dogs, cats, whoever. Uh, remember to follow me on Instagram, the rant at the rant with Eli. And you can follow me on Twitter, the rant Eli, and you can email me the rant Eli at gmail.com. Com. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. Remember to check out jagoutsports.com and continue to share the podcast. Thanks a lot, and I'll see you guys when I see you.